recording now. Okay. So I'm recording. Sweet. And um, I guess uh, when, okay. You, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm just going to start us off and we're going to bull. And again, this is going to be just an organic talk, you know, like it, it it's going to be a little bit of an interview, but at the same time, we'll kind of bounce off each other's ideas and just yeah, cool. make a normal talking, I guess, so to say, but um, yeah. So I'll start in three, two, one, go. Welcome back guys to the podcast today. I'm with Jake Grunemeyer, a good friend of mine that I met in high school and Jake, how about you just start by introducing yourself to the people? Well, as Hunter just said, my name is, in fact, Jake Gronemeyer. Um, I'm an undergraduate student at Loyola University, New Orleans, and I'm excited to participate in one of the opening episodes of Hunter's podcast. Sweet. We'll get right into the the meat, the first question. And these questions are going to go from less specific and more specific into his major. And Jake, can you... Uh, specify your major and what you're doing? Yeah, sure. I'm majoring in psychology with a focus in neuroscience. Um, I had a minor, or actually I still have a minor in biology. So kind of a a mixture of neuroscience and psychology. Cool, cool. So we'll jump right into the question. First question is, what is a normal routine on a school day for you? I know like Monday through Friday, it all depends, different classes and stuff, but an average day, time of waking up, and it doesn't have to be like brushing your teeth. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you don't want me to talk about every little detail. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I think probably the most consistent part of my routine is having something for breakfast. Um, well, actually, the first thing I do every day is I wake up and I'll make my bed because um, it's one of those things you can just do, get done and have accomplished something. Uh, I mean, obviously, every now and then I forget. But then after that, I will make breakfast. I'll gather all my things that I need for whatever I'm doing during the day, pack up my backpack. May that be I go to school or go to the lab, or I'm just sitting at my desk, setting up my desk, getting all of that ready. I actually like to get a lot of my stuff for the next day done on the previous night too, so that when I wake up, I can just kind of get into whatever I need to get done. Sweet. Yeah. You talked about making your bed. Uh, I definitely started. It's funny that I had to read a book in order to do so make your bed. <laughs> it doesn't. No. Yeah. I think you and I talked about it. Actually, yeah, that's what yeah. got me into it. Yeah. It, it's, it's, um, it, it's not as like step one, fold the cover. Like, it's not like that. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's a book about a general and most people, it's a pretty famous speech that this general gives at a graduation for the Navy, I believe, or something like that. And he talks about how like these little things, little uh, little accomplishments add up to big accomplishments at the end of the day. And starting your day off by making your bed is just one little accomplishment that you started. And when you're done with the day and you've had a rough, whether it's a good or rough day, you come back to a made bed and you just get- It's really nice. Yeah, Yeah, it's nice to come back to a clean room. Yeah, exactly. I, I love keeping my room clean. I clean every week uh, on Sundays or Saturdays. But yeah, love seeing my made bed. I would hate it would bother me so much to see my bed not made. But started making my bed last year every morning and do it very neatly and like keeping my stuff neatly. But yeah, I uh, what what time do you wake up, Jake? It depends on the day. I like to get up before nine typically. Um, on the weekends, though, I'll wake up maybe around ten especially on Sundays. But 
I, as early as I get up is probably around seven 30. So you're telling me you lack in, in that spot. No, I'm just kidding. No, that's still really good for college students. <laughs> to some. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like majority, um, of college students, you know, wake up, uh, around that time or maybe a little bit later, but me personally, I usually try to wake up six, 7am, but lately these past two weeks, I have just not, I don't know. It, I have been getting a lot better at getting good sleep no matter what, try to get seven to eight hours. Yeah, it doesn't really matter when you wake up. It's more about timing it right. So you get a good amount of sleep each night. It's really important. Yeah. And I try, I just had the aesthetic of waking up early. It just means I'm a hard worker, but at the end of the day, getting more sleep means that you're going to be more effective and efficient throughout the day and productive instead of being tired the rest of the day. Yeah, especially if you're getting stuff done in the morning, it keeps that it gets you into that flow of accomplishing stuff, kind of like what you're mentioning earlier from that speech. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, let's jump into the second question. Do you have any tips for college students, maybe whether it's a freshman or someone that's about to enter college, or just someone in general, like right now, they're in their junior or senior year, yeah, some right. tips that you have? I think as a senior, I may have a couple, a couple tips up my sleeve to hand out for free. <laughs> I think that the most important thing is to figure out a good way to take notes for your classes, even if it's, especially for classes that um, aren't, aren't a part of your major or really are a part of your major. You want to make sure that you're taking good notes for all of your classes and have create or rather find a good process for getting information in a way that you can access it later while you're studying. I, I won't give really specific advice because honestly, it's different for everybody what works, whether that's typing up notes or drawing them out, making diagrams. I personally like to draw a lot because that visual aspect gives me a lot more things to remember about information, um, especially as a freshman. It, it'll keep you on track while you're out partying and forgetting that you have a test tomorrow. At least you'll have good notes to look at. Yep. Um, yeah, th that's so you definitely gave some good tips but how about now since a lot of people are online what do you think is a good tip for working school online as we COVID hit and majority of schools are still online yeah i think that with classes being online you have a lot more time to prep before your classes and then while you're in the class on zoom you also have a lot more time on your hands to do different types of note-taking strategies so I think the best way to take good notes is to have multiple steps in the process. So don't just take notes. Don't just write your notes and be done. Type them and then write them or write them and then type them. Having that double set of notes means that your first set of notes can be whatever. And then your second set is a bit more refined. And then you also having done that twice, you have a lot more memory of writing the notes themselves. So it helps in the studying process. Um, staying organized really is really important That's for online. Absolutely. I totally agree with being, or I'm very much an organized person. I know you are as well, you know, like finding whether I have even in, especially on my computer, I have folders for every single class that after I'm done with that assignment, I save it in that. So I'm not looking all over my computer and physically I have, shelves, whatever it may be. Like I organize, I have a filing cabinet with all different stuff, business, internship yeah, cool. stuff, all that stuff. Uh, it definitely helps a lot. And it was worth the $60 investment from Ikea. It was I, think the, I think the best 
advice I can give is make notes that you're satisfied with, that you like looking at, I think is a huge aspect of it. That's yeah. why I like to draw or use colors because then when I look at my notes, they're visually pleasing in the first place. So it motivates me to even look at them in the first place. Absolutely. All right. We'll uh, jump into the third question. How do you get motivated to do schoolwork that isn't fascinating to you? I actually just started talking about it there. Now I think about it, um, getting your notes into a, a, a format that really is aesthetically pleasing to you is gives you motivation, turning in, turning the process of learning into some type of creative endeavor can really help you stay motivated, especially for those classes that may not be a part of your major or a blow off class, just making sure that there's, you're tying it to some other aspects of your life. It's not just, Oh, that one class that I hate that I had to take. It's also, Oh, it's the class that I like to make these cool little diagrams for this. Or, you know, I, I think also talking about those classes with friends too, is a, is a good idea to keep yourself interested in them. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, we'll jump into the next question then. What inspires you the most specifically in your major? Hmm. It's a good question. Uh, psychology. I think that psychology inspires me in the sense that everything that I learn in psychology, I can apply to myself in my own life. I think that helps it. I think that maintains my interest in it and makes me fascinated in everything I learn because I can figure out ways that I can apply concepts to improve my own minds, um, my mental health, how I deal with situations and giving me to describe the way I feel in, in moments that I guess without having the knowledge, I'd be more confused about. Yeah. Good, good answer. Good answer. Like Thanks that. Hunter. <laughs> no problem. Okay. Uh, and then moving on to the last question. Uh, I mean, not the last question, the fifth question, how do you do your research? So I guess I'll limit the answer to that question for specifically research in the psychology field. It's going to be different, you know, doing research for different subject areas, but I like to start off with a broad question or just as a general curiosity that I have and throw that into a Google search, figure out some keywords. Actually, one of the best places you can go first after a good Google search is Wikipedia and looking through all the different sections that they provide on a general subject. And you want to think of Wikipedia as here's, it's like a, a roadmap to where you can go different avenues of the research of a general topic. So don't use Wikipedia to research the specifics, you know, but through Wikipedia, you can find big names of people and scholars that are talking about the subject. And you can also find references to those scholars. And then from there, you can follow fall down the rabbit hole of those references. And then you can also find keywords for those articles put that into Google Scholarly. If you're not part of an institution, you can select the open access setting. So you only get open access journals. And what you basically want to get, get a hold of when you're researching that topic, as you get more specific is the vocabulary the scholars are using so that you can have more keywords to refine your questions further and further as you go deeper into your Google search adventure. And then from there, you're probably going to end up finding a specific scholar, maybe a book that they've written. And once you're reading the book, you've kind of 
you know, made it, you know, you're, you're really deep into the research. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to add on to that. Yeah. Like you said, like Google scholar, but um, you know, for us, it, it's different for everyone, how their school uses, but their um, library website for college is definitely a big help. Um, finding resources, whatever it may be. We have a bunch of searches that we can, or search engines that we can use for example, in business, for me, I can look up a SWOT analysis for Amazon. That would be very hard finding online. And it's done by a highly scholared person that's specified to be doing SWOT analyses or, um, you know, someone with a PhD, whatever it may be, it's people that know what they're doing, or it's actually even businesses that give them out uh, and only are posting on these specific search engines, which are provided for us and we pay for. So highly recommend everyone uses the search engines that is given through your resources of being in college. Yeah. And, and libraries in general are great places to go to research. Um, I think, I think, people in this day and age kind of sleep on libraries a little bit or sleep in libraries, but going Amen. there and getting and getting some books and talking to the people at the desk, there's actually tons of people in that work at libraries that know a ton about how to research yes. a wide variety of topics. So go yeah. and find one of them and talk to them. Absolutely. It's not going to be your person that's cleaning the desks off, but rather the person or might. behind, or it might be, it might be, you never know, <laughs> it I could guess. Be. But majority of the time, it's probably going to be that guy behind the desk um, that is rather older. And you're like, okay, he might know a thing or two. He, he's been around libraries for quite some time, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, let's jump into the sixth question. How does one effectively use their brain? So now kind of getting specifically kind of in your major well, I think kind of what we covered in the beginning of our of our talk about sleep routines and getting having things that you do daily are really important to maximizing the amount of energy your body has because your brain is going to be using most of the energy that your body intakes because um, it's it's the engine of your body in a sense. So it's taking up all the gas, all the fuel. So you need to make sure that you get enough sleep that you're sleeping consistently eating consistently and having good nutrient nutrient filled foods. And from there, you kind of just, I don't know, you just use your brain, man. You just, you just think about stuff. I think being mindful about your, your mind and looking in and introspecting and thinking, why am I feeling this way? Or why did I make the decision that I did? You can start to increase your awareness of yourself and become just a more effective and healthier person in, in your decision-making. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add a little bit, uh, my two cents on that as well, uh, effectively or efficiently using your brain. Definitely. I have breakfast. Some people just don't like having breakfast, but waking up in the morning and making a good breakfast, maybe a cup of coffee. And, you know, I feel like having a full stomach, definitely one gives me the energy and nutrients of the day. And two, I just don't, you know, when you're hungry inside, you just, I feel like you don't, you're not a hundred percent focused on what you're doing. You're kind of like in the back of your head, like, Oh, I'm hungry. So I definitely start with a good breakfast. That's how I efficiently and effectively use my brain personally. Yeah. Uh, they call it, off. they call it break fast. Cause you're breaking the fast, you know, that you've had through sleeping. Yes, so I heard of that. I, I saw an article on that, that I read uh, a couple months ago and I was like, you're telling me my whole life, I didn't figure out what break 
best <laughs> really means like what yep. that 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 makes so much sense now that you're breaking a fast because when you sleep obviously it's a long period of time then. well and that's why it's so important that you're it's the first food you're eating after that little fast you've had so it's important to put in some some good food into your body it doesn't really matter when you're eating it it's just when you're breaking that period of fasting so you know having high proteins you know that's why eggs are a staple you know high proteins some good carbohydrates and just drinking a lot of water throughout the day, man. That helps Amen. so much. Amen. I go, I try to drink at least eight water, uh, water bottles a day, um, or filling up my water bottle, you know, trying to be environmentally friendly. You got to keep there. that 70% water body ratio going all day. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's move into the next question. How do neurons communicate? So you can kind of go into your fascinating talk, so to say. Right into the nitty gritty. All right. Um, Well, neurons are basically little electrical wires that are used throughout your body as a uh, wiring system, similar to some sort of electrical machine. I'm not saying we're robots, Hunter. But (laughs) basically what they do is they're going to be receiving signals, signals from other neurons and then sending signals to a next neuron. So it's like a step-by-step process between neurons. They'll receive neurotransmitters, which will tell them what type of signal to send. A neurotransmitter is like a key to a lock on a synapse and it'll either tell the neuron, the next neuron to fire, which is an an excitatory signal, or it'll tell the next neuron to not fire, which is an inhibitory signal. And from there, the uh, cell body can in there, make some decisions based on the proteins it's constructing from the DNA. And it will send a signal down the axon by basically a electrical gradient it creates by filtering in and out sodium and potassium ions. And that electrical gradient will travel down the axon at the speed of electricity, of course, <laughs> whatever that speed is really fast. It's, um, it's, it's very quick. It's like sending information through a wire, quite literally. Yep. Uh, the axons are surrounded by what's called myelin, which is analogous to the rubber coating you see on any wires. Helps the signal travel faster. Hmm. And then it'll reach the end of the neuron where it will open up vesicles in the synapse, which are at the tips of the, of the neurons, basically. And from the synapse, it'll release specific types of neurotransmitters that will, like I mentioned previously, tell the next neuron what to do. Okay. I'm just going to say what everyone's probably thinking. What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely very complex, but you know, it's like so interesting. Like we were talking before I referenced this, me and Jake already filmed a podcast, but ended up getting corrupted because I'm a beginner uh, and we're all learning. So uh, definitely starting this over. But when we talked yesterday jake on the podcast that was supposed to work but didn't work because i corrupted the file on accident yeah was how neurons are communicating so fast it's like like me talking to you you know the movements of my lips my tongue my opening of mouth everything that goes into it is my neurons having that routine and saying those words over and over that enables me to communicate to you and then you using your ears listen to what I say and answer it and use the same exact thing. It's like neurons are insane. I think there's 86 billion in your brain alone, which is insane. 
recent research says there's even more than that. Um, Fair enough. Even, it's a lot. Yeah, no, it's a lot. And you, you even mentioned the ears, the little hair cells inside of your, your cochlea, deep inside of your ear are the tips of neurons. And the stimulation and physical movement of those from sound waves is in place of neurotransmitters, right? Because the way those cilia move tells the neuron what types of signals to fire into the brain. So as you're hearing somebody, even the sound is physically interacting with neurons, which those neurons are going to communicate electrically throughout your brain. And then those are going to send signals throughout your central nervous system to your peripheral nervous system, where you can now think to move your arm and your arm will move. And each movement of your arm, like Hunter was mentioning with, you know, talking and his mouth moving is millions of neurons firing in conglomeration with each other uh, electrically. That's why when you get tased, your body locks up, you know, you'll, you'll just fall over, you lose control. Interesting. What did you say? No, I'm just kidding. I kind of got what you were saying. Uh, Hey man, I don't even know what I said. (laughs) Um, All right, let's move on to the last question. And then the last, we'll spend like five minutes or so just talking, uh, you know, the good old talks. Um, but the last question being, how does the consciousness occur? Broad question, but answer it and tailor it how you like. Yeah, no, it's a big question. I think everybody has had this conversation, whether with, with their family or drunk at a bar, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those good deep talk questions. You can take it from any angle. You can take it from the spiritual, the religious, the scientific, the philosophical, but since the beginning of knowledge was even becoming knowledge when people were even studying, consciousness has always been a question from Descartes' mind-body duality all the way to now where we have neuroimaging to see neural, neural correlates with consciousness and different conscious states such as dreaming, sleeping, or being awake. Consciousness is, there's definitely not a single answer and if there were i would not know it however i like to think of it as i like to think of it in the in the guise of thomas neagle neagle's paper what it's like to be a bat it it's a paper that describes or brings up the thought experiment of okay what would it be like to imagine yourself as a bat and well a bat, assuming it has consciousness itself, would have its own personal type of consciousness, its own subjective consciousness. And at the end of the day, consciousness is very subjective anyway. However, you can't really put yourself in the subjective shoes of a bat because their reality is constructed differently than ours. They use echolocation and the way that sound bounces off of different areas in their environment, off of the bugs that they're hunting, et cetera. So their environment is constructed based on how sound waves move around the environment, while our visual and visual reality is constructed based on how we see light reflecting off of objects. So their conscious experience is going to be markedly different than our own. Therefore, consciousness is obviously not an easily singularly defined type of thing. It's also not something that I believe can be defined authoritatively just through science. I think that there is a, a spiritual a spiritual aspect to it in the sense that, you know, meditating and having having these pure subjective experiences that really can only be explained by the experience itself goes to show that the hard question of consciousness, as they put it, is 
really requires that subjective description, no matter what. Yeah. And kind of how, like we were talking about yesterday, uh, I don't know if you recall or not, but like, there's so many different things that play into it. Uh, you know, one's culture that he's surrounded by as a kid or different being in a different country again, kind of dealing with culture, you know, how you were raised, just different stuff. There's so much different things that go into it. And it, it, it's a very broad question and hard to answer because there's so many samples that get thrown into this that could be a possibility on how the consciousness occurs and how it's just different in everyone it's it's very right yeah like even interesting even between you and me like it we could say sit here and try and describe what consciousness is as a thing but at the end of the day your conscious experience is going to be different than my conscious experience we may have similarities in the sense that we may we're both hearing each other and we're both actively doing this activity where we're talking to each other through microphones and therefore sharing a conscious experience together. However, in your day-to-day, you're, you're experiencing a conscious experience that I can't experience. It's, it's locked inside of your own mind. So developing a operational definition as a scientist, which as scientists are trying to do of what consciousness is, is difficult because even the scient- even all the scientists themselves trying to create the the terms for it are all experiencing different consciousnesses. Yeah, definitely interesting. And I know we could talk ages about this, but uh, at this time, I'm just going to open it up for kind of free talk, maybe something, a topic you want to talk about, or I don't know, I can kind of shoot the shot and probably come up with a topic and shoot the shot, <laughs> man. Don't shoot me. Come on. <laughs> Uh, no, I am excited about uh, what you've got going on here with the podcast. It's a, a cool idea. I listen to your other episodes. I like the different topics you've covered. And it's a cool idea to interview people and get different perspectives on different types of topics. And it's cool. You reached out to me to give kind of the psychology perspective on some fun questions I like to talk about just in general. So yeah, absolutely. And obviously that was the one big thing I was learning while researching on before I started a podcast and really got into it is that you could talk for ages, but most likely the audience is going to get bored, just your mindset. Um, but I ended up figuring out definitely having interviews, you know, like the Joe uh, Rogan show, you know, many different things they are wrapped around interviews and using other people's minds and thoughts and kind of nitpicking at them to get good answers and entertain the audience. And at the same time, while um, my podcast is focused on gaining knowledge and just be becoming an interesting podcast for people to listen to, I think, you know, interviewing was definitely a good thing to choose as well as obviously the first interviewer, um, well, interviewee being you, Jake, very excited about that. So honored. He's so, not even paying me folks. <laughs> Not yet. One day you'll be working for me. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, don't worry. You I'll... dream big, don't you? Absolutely. Every day, night, my dreams, making them come <laughs> true. Starting with the podcast. It'll, it'll be in a movie. Hopefully. We'll see. Or it will become a movie. I'm, aren't we just living in a movie? I mean, oh, damn near something. We've got into a topic <laughs> here. <laughs> oh, yeah, the deep talks that me and Jake, I mean, we've gone way back in high school. Um, you know, those late nights 
having those fun sleepovers, but too cool to be called sleepovers. Just hang out. Yeah. The yeah. The, the times we had after the parties, like after they died down, just like, you know, post party talks, those are the best kind, honestly, you know, cause you've just, you're kind of coming down from the high of party, you know, the high energy, the high octane, and you're just chilling. You don't want to move, but like your mind is still racing. So yeah. the talks are always it's great. just incredible. And we just start with one topic and it'll lead to another, another, another. And before you know it, we're talking five hours and it's 5 a.m. in the morning and the sun's starting to come yeah. out. There's, but, there's some advice for college students. If you have time and you're at a good party, stay after a little bit. See who sticks around and and have some have some good talks with them. Those are those are where the best conversations come. Can't relate. I don't party, but uh <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. The beginning yeah. of college, yeah. Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but I still found myself knees deep in homework and finding different things out. Oh, saying yeah, but you're studying. you're in a fraternity. How how did you not manage to party? Well, the the reason I joined the fraternity, actually, I wasn't planning on rushing. I was just kind of seeing what the fraternity life was like, but figuring out that my fraternity won 16 consecutive semesters of top GPA. I knew I wanted to surround myself with you know leaders and people that had their heads screwed on straight. And that he wanted to be in the nerdy. Parties. In the nerdy fraternity. Yeah, the nerdy, but know how to get down, work hard, play hard. <laughs> is definitely No, you guys had of. cool parties for sure, though. Yeah, I, I just wasn't very much a party person. I kind of like being myself. But again, doing these interviews and having the interactions with other people and getting their thoughts on different topics and questions is definitely interesting. So I guess instead of a party, maybe finding a podcast and a really good <laughs> friend. I'm just kidding. You do as you want. But uh, yeah, and, and there's many different things rather than just a party, just staying after class and talking to your teacher, uh, whether it be on a subject or just talking about life. Uh, I've done that. I don't know how many times and going to office hours of my teacher and um, just talking to them and shooting different questions at them and them giving me good answers, whether it be internships, whatever it may be, and just life, everything all above. I think it's just good to talk to people and get on a deep level. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely very interesting. I agree. Anything else, Jake? No, I think we covered a lot of cool, fun stuff. Absolutely. Again, thanks, Jake, for being on the podcast. And a little thing I just want to say before we end this podcast, you might notice some audio hiccups um sometimes it sounds a little bit weird it's not your audio it's on my our side it's zoom that we're using so um it can be a little bit wonky sometimes but for the majority of the part i feel like it was pretty good audio trying to figure this out becoming a beginner but we're in it together becoming a beginner <laughs> all right um all right thanks again guys for being on this podcast and till next time jake we're gonna definitely make another podcast yeah cool talk to you later man all right. Thanks, Jake.